worship this morning. It's wonderful to be in the house of God and wherever you are, whether you are around the corner in Bundaberg or around the world, welcome to our service of worship. Please, as you join with us, make a comment. Let us know where you're watching from. Uh, we love to engage with you and uh, we'll get to those comments uh, in immediately and, and generally through the week as they made as well. And uh, we'd love to connect up with you in that way. So let us know where you're watching from. Let us know that you're there. It's great to be with you this morning and to connect in this way. Today is also the sacrament of Holy Communion. And so as we share in communion, as you can see behind me here, we'll be taking communion and there'll be liturgy on the screen, which uh, you'll be able to follow and uh, we will share in that sacrament with one another. Reverend Ray Nutley will be helping me as we take communion, and uh, it'll be great to be part of the family of God connected all over the world by a sacrament that binds all Christians right across, across the globe. And so as we begin this morning, let me greet you with these words. The peace of the Lord be with you. Thank you. And uh, if you're alone at home, I have greeted you with those words. I receive them back from you. But if you're with friends and family, won't you greet them? Pass God's peace onto them this morning. If you're joining with us for the first time, we're in the middle of a sermon series called Soul Keeping, Caring for the Most Important Part of You. And uh, if you'd like to catch up with those, uh, the videos are on our YouTube channel and you can see those and, uh, and watch them and, and go back to them if you'd like to refresh your memory on, uh, on the first two in the series on soul keeping. It's based on a book by John Ortberg and the works of Dallas Willard. I've also used Eugene Peterson and Gordon MacDonald in uh, preparing the series and so I just give those uh, acknowledgement to those authors and thank them for their work in making, uh, making the wealth of information that they have available to us. Let us come before God in prayer. <clears throat> Almighty God, as we gather this morning, it is with a sense of thanks and praise for the gift of who you are and for what you mean to each of us. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God who is always there, always dependable, a God who never leaves us nor forsakes us, a God who is aware of our every concern and worry, and a God who knows what it means to have a life to the full, a life that is integrated body, soul, mind, and spirit with your will and with your desires. And this is the desire of our heart. This is why, Lord, we are here this morning. This is why we wish to worship you and, and to honor you, that you may be seated in the center of our lives, that all of, of who we are and what we represent, that everything we have would be in submission to your will and your desires for us. We pray, Lord God, that our worship this morning would reflect that that the attitudes of heart and mind and body, soul and spirit wanting to connect with you would be reflective in the thoughts that we have in the way that we worship and the way we engage with the service this morning. We pray that all of it may work to your glory and that you may be glorified in our lives. We pray, Lord, that 
that sense of, of connection and a, a sense of a soul that is kept well and, and healthy would be something that we enjoy in increasing measure as we progress through the series. We ask, Lord, that your Spirit would speak to us in just the right places where, where our souls are needing that care, in those places where there isn't integration, where there isn't connection. Minister to us, we pray. Bring us to you. We are here, Lord, because we want to listen. And so come, Holy Spirit, we pray. May you be glorified in our lives as we seek to glorify you in all that we do. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of forgiveness, for the wonder that as we celebrate the sacrament of Holy Communion this morning, we do so knowing that it means for us that we live in a, in a, a relationship with you where there are no sins held against us, where there are no grudges kept and no, no record of wrongs. For, Lord, your sacrifice on the cross means that there is nothing that we could do that could trump what you have done for us. Lord God, we run into those arms of grace this morning. We rejoice in the beauty of forgiveness. And we give you thanks, Lord God, that you are a personal God, not requiring sacrifices and not requiring a, a whole list of things that we've got to do to make right, but requiring a repentant heart and a desire to love and to serve you. And we come with that this morning, Lord God, for those moments where you haven't been glorified in our lives. Holy Spirit, convict us and speak to us. May you be glorified, we pray. We pray these things in and through the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as together we pray the Lord's Prayer. The words will be up on the screen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial. Deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Friends, as I said, we are continuing in our series with soul keeping, caring for the most important part of you, as you see on our banner behind us here, spend time caring for your soul. And the reading that we're going to have on this communion morning is one that we've had earlier on in the series from Psalm 42. Listen carefully to the words of the psalmist. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Almighty One. With shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. 
All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we look at that psalm this morning, we're going to be looking at ways of keeping our soul. And this morning, focusing particularly on the fact that the soul needs to be centered. Part of our worship is expressing our love for God and the gifts that we give Him. Uh, thank you very much to all of those who have brought gifts into the office, their offerings brought uh, faithfully uh, each week. Thank you for that. And to those who have been giving through online giving, thank you for making use of that opportunity to give to God's work and to worship Him with what you have. If you'd like details of how to do that, the, uh, the uh, website has all of our giving details, our bank details for online giving. That can be set up and uh, just simply mark it City Offering and then you can leave your name out and uh, leave it as anonymous. Or if you'd prefer to continue dropping them in at the office, you're welcome to do that as well. As we bring our prayers of uh, thanksgiving for the offering, we'll also bring our prayers of intercession before God, remembering particularly the situation around the world as, uh, as riots and violence and, uh, and protests are happening um, all over. Let us come before God in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for the opportunity to worship and bless you with the gifts we bring. We thank you, Lord, that we have this opportunity. We know that there is no other place where our gifts would be considered worthy to give to a king. We couldn't go up to the queen and, and offer her a present. No one would ever let it get near her. But you, Lord, welcome our gifts. And in this way, we are able to bless you. Receive them, we pray. May you be blessed by the gifts we bring, and may we see it as the privileges of worshiping you with all that we have. Lord God, we pray that the gifts we give may be used to further the work of your church. We pray that it may bring healing to those of this community who need to be touched by your love. That it may bring hope to those of this community who are struggling through addiction and homelessness and, and uh, financial difficulties. We pray that the work of this church may bring life to those who are desperately seeking something to live for. We pray that the work of the church may bring comfort to those who are bereaved, who are suffering loss, to those who are struggling through illness and treatment for terminal illness, to those who are needing your strength. May the work in this church, through your Holy Spirit, touch their lives, we pray. Lord, we also pray for the situation all around the world as, as uh, racism and violence and hatred seem to dominate our news. We pray for the situation in America and for all of those 
who suffer under systemic racism or oppressive systems. We pray for those who have endured violence and brutality. And we pray for a change to the systems that allow it to happen. We also thank you, Lord, though, for the heartwarming scenes that we have seen of police and protesters standing together, united against violence and racism. And we are reminded, Lord, that you are at work in people in all situations, and no place is without your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we pray that your spirit of love and fairness and compassion and justice will prevail. We pray for more scenes like that, for more awareness of your presence, and for you to bring a change in society so that all people may live in peace and in freedom. We ask these things in your name. And as we come to hear your word, Lord, we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, that you administer in a way that is relevant to us and in a way that we understand, and that this message may speak into our hearts and challenge us as to how we keep our own souls. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was in my first year of ministry, our cohort, um, our cohort ministered in churches all over the province. They were cross-cultural churches, meaning that we were intentionally placed in a church uh, that was largely a church of a different color. So coming out of apartheid, it was only just out of the apartheid era in South Africa, you can imagine that that brought all sorts of extra learning and extra challenges for, uh, for ministers and congregations alike who were, who were put together to, um, to work together in ministry. It was a very challenging year. And to top it all off, we had to travel into the college for lectures for two days of every week. My placement happened to have been over 350 kilometers away from that college. So that kind of driving was, was pretty tough going. At one stage, the lecturers thought that it would be a good idea to put us into accountability groups. And so we were put into these groups of about four or five people. And each Monday when we met, we would break into these groups with the intention of having each person answer just one question. You'd go around the circle and you'd answer just one question. How goes it with your soul? How is it going with the soul? How is it going with the most important part of you, the central aspect of who you are? How is the keeping of your soul, the caring of your soul going? It was a good idea except for the fact that no one ever took the time to explain to us what a soul was and how you would keep it. This was kind of left to our interpretation with the assumption that, that even though we were young and in our first year of ministry, we would just know how to keep souls healthy. Back then, for many of our cohort and perhaps many Christians all over the world today, the solution for an unhealthy soul was always based on one thing. It was managing to have a devotional time or to have your quiet times regularly. No matter how badly it was going with your soul, this was the magic pill. More quiet times or longer quiet times or more regular quiet times, 
Those 15 or 20 minutes, if needed, of devotion would, would put you right with God. They would center your soul. They would deal with temptation. There you go. The solution would be done. It was always seeming to be the answer. But it wasn't long before, if we're honest, that didn't really work too well. You see, when we got together to answer the question, how goes it with your soul? Our health of our souls was generally governed by how well life was going. And like I said, it was a pretty challenging year. The health of our souls was, was governed by how happy we were or how smoothly things were moving. So we were generally answer that question by speaking about external factors how life was running, how our ministry was going, what challenges we were having, and, and how we were dealing with them in general. The health, of, the health of our souls was somehow governed by the level of how you were managing life, how happy or successful you were. And because of that, there were some interesting and heated discussions in those accountability groups. And this is, the fact, this is because of the fact that subconsciously, if you think that your soul's health is based on external circumstances, then one of the, the most natural things to do is compare those external circumstances with others because that gives you an excuse for the condition of your soul. And so our group of supposedly caring, loving, kind people became a bit of a comparison group. Where if it wasn't going well with your soul, you could say, it's because I've got so much extra traveling to do. Or because I've got it so much tougher than you have. Or the workload in the churches is much more than what could be expected of us. Or whatever challenges it, uh, it was. How good or how bad your superintendent uh, happened to have been treating you. How unfair it was or whatever the case. And we quickly found out that that little magic pill of having a quiet time wasn't going to cut it in terms of making or keeping a, health, a soul healthy. Even with quiet times, it wasn't going well with my soul. I only came to realize this the year after as I went to seminary, which was a live-in college, and worked through some of those experiences with colleagues who were on the same journey. And I came to realize that my assessment of a healthy soul was, was almost completely tied up in how I thought life and ministry was going. If I was happy externally, if things were going my way, if I could make sense of the world and if somehow things I wanted were falling into place and God was answering prayers and finances were good and, and things in general were on the up, well then I was happy and it was well with my soul. But if things were going pear-shaped and God didn't seem to be answering my prayers and life was getting complicated and maybe God seemed a little bit distant or maybe things weren't going well or finances weren't falling into place, then it wasn't going well with my soul. Despite the fact of having a devotion for 15 minutes every morning, sometimes even longer. Dallas Willard says this, People in churches, including pastors, have been crushed with guilt over their failure at having regular quiet time or daily devotions. And then, even when they do, they find it doesn't actually lead to a healthy soul. The problem is not the first 15 minutes of the day. It's the next 23 hours and 45 minutes. You must arrange your days so that you are experiencing total contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. 
You must arrange your days so that you're experiencing total contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. To be clear, he's not saying that quiet times are unimportant, that times of devotion are, are wasted or useless. But what he's saying is that they are not an end in themselves. It cannot be the magic pill that, that brings everything together. It cannot be a moment where we have a quiet time or a devotion and think, well, that's it for the day. We can close the Bible and, and move on into the day, and it, it doesn't affect or change us. A healthy soul is an integrated soul. It's a soul that takes all of those things that we learn, all of those moments of connection with God. The camera. All of those moments of connection with God and integrates them together, brings them together. That is a healthy soul. This is the story of the keeper. <coughs> Excuse me. This is the story of the keeper in the stream. It's why there's a stream in the banner that Jenny made for us. The story of the, the stream in the Alps, the, the river in the Alps, the, um, where the townsfolk stopped paying the keeper of the stream way up in the mountains. And everything went to rack and ruin. The story of the soul is that one spends a lifetime caring for it. Removing the, the rubbish and clearing it up just like that stream. Lovingly tending to its needs so that it provides health to all that it touches. Psalm 1 says, Blessed are the people who do this. They are like trees planted by streams, who despite the dry and arid conditions of the land, their roots are nourished and they produce fruit from their green and healthy leaves. It isn't the external factors, the outwardly visible parts of our lives that create healthy souls. It's the sparkling, clear, and beautiful stream through which our roots are nourished. The stream is your soul, and you are the keeper. Only you. I love the phrase, you must arrange your day so that you're experiencing total contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. Because it gives to us the first aspect of how to keep our souls healthy. The first aspect is this. We need to arrange our lives for contentment. Soul keeping is about contentment. In Psalm 42 we read, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. When we operate on the assumption that our inner worlds will be filled with life and peace and joy once our external worlds are perfect, we're living in an impossible place unless we're living in a perfect world, which we know we're not. Gordon MacDonald tells a story of a man who lost his life when uh, the home and uh, it was a home that he and, and generations of his family had lived in for, for years. The home just disappeared into a sinkhole that opened up overnight. One minute it was there looking absolutely perfect, pristinely looked after. The next minute it was gone. Experts studied what had happened and they investigated and, and found out that the area in which that home was built had a lot of limestone that was slowly being eroded by acidic rainwater. And when enough of that limestone was eroded, eroded the, the weight on, of what was on top was greater than what could be supported and it just disappears into a sinkhole. It just vanishes. Tragic as that is, 
it speaks volumes into the health of our souls. We live in these two worlds, an, an outside world and an inside world, a world of what we see and what we, what we take in, and an inner world of our health, of our, of our soul and, and its health. In the outer world, we have challenges and issues and pressures and family and work and finances and a million other things that, it, that at any one time can be going right or wrong. And then we have this inner world of the soul, the unseen. That which is meant to integrate all of life, body, mind, and, and, and will together with the, with the will of God. But because it's unseen, it's easy to neglect. The external stuff is, is visible to others. We, we have to tend to it. It has to be dealt with. It demands our attention. It's a little bit like the squeaky wheel that gets the oil. But the inner world can be neglected and not show signs of it right away. It can be sidelined for years. It can even be ignored. But make no mistake, little by little, the erosion is happening. It is felt as a lack of contentment in our lives. And it leads one day to a heartbreaking moment where the depth of neglect is made known. Contentment isn't in the outer world. Contentment is in the soul, in the firm foundation of what is supporting all that is seen. Contentment is in the well-kept soul. Charles Swindoll says, The good life exists only when we stop wanting a better one. The itch for better things is a virus draining the soul of contentment. The psalmist writes, writes, My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you. The key to contentment is recognizing the source of that contentment, knowing from where that contentment will come. It's seeking it in its rightful place instead of looking to the externals of the world. The secret of contentment happens every minute of the day. No matter what external circumstances we are faced with, no matter what the world would continue to tell us, would be a possible source of happiness. Contentment comes in knowing that it is not in a little bit more money or a little bit of power or a faster car or a nice new boat. Contentment, says the psalmist, comes when we remember God. I will remember you. Which brings me to the second point, that soul-keeping is about conversation. I love the way that the psalmist actually speaks to his soul. Have you ever noticed that? Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? When last did you speak to your soul? When last did you say, hey soul, what's wrong with you? You're a nice soul. Have you spoken to your soul lately? Have you ever spoken to your soul? I recently watched the film Toy Story 4. And it has this, this great scene where the two main characters, the toys, Woody and Buzz, if you, I, I, I really hope you've seen at least one of the toy stories, but, but Woody and Buzz are busy talking and, and Woody is telling Buzz what he plans to do. And he says, I have to do this, Buzz. My inner voice is telling me to do it. And Buzz looks at him in, in complete serenity and, and with a quizzical kind of wanting to know, he says, so who do you think it is? And Woody says, who? And Buzz says, the voice in your head, the inner voice. Who do you think it is? And Woody is taken by surprise at Buzz's lack of understanding of an inner voice. 
and says, you know, that little voice that talks to you, that you talk to. And Buzz just doesn't get it. And he eventually decides that Woody must be talking about the electronic voice that he's got when he presses the button on his chest. So he pushes it and it says, to infinity and beyond. And Buzz looks pretty unimpressed with this. He's heard it a million times and he walks away mumbling and he says, thanks a lot, inner voice. (laughs) You and I, we know about this inner voice. The world tells us to use it all the time. There's no end to the self-talk guides that you can get, you can purchase, you can listen to, to the TED Talks that will happen and, and uh, where you can motivate yourself and tell yourself and talk yourself into anything. So one the other day, talk yourself thin. Doesn't work. Talk yourself up. Be kind to yourself. Some life coaches make you pay lots of money for them to tell you how to talk to yourself. But the Bible, they don't do self-talk. They do soul-talk. The psalmist speaks to his soul. And the difference between talking to yourself and talking to your soul is that the soul exists in the presence of God. And though you may think this sounds a little silly, but when you speak to your soul, it changes your brain because it transforms that talk into prayer. It demands a sense of of introspection. Why do you read it so often in the Psalms? They are delving deep into their souls. That's why it's so different to self-talk. When we talk to ourselves, we tend to justify or want to sort out or come out on top. When we talk to ourselves, the goal is about, about how we can come right in a circumstance. But when we talk to our souls... The goal is to change not to what we want or what we think, but what God wants and what God thinks. Soul talk means that we begin to immerse ourselves in the presence of God. We move right from the moment of, of, uh, of God working. Uh, we move right into the moment of God working within us. Why are you angry, my soul? Why are you hurt, my soul? Why are you downcast? my soul. And at that very moment, we find that what we're trying to find out, the conversation moves into this connectedness with God, and it becomes prayer, and it becomes about the health of the soul. Soul keeping is about conversation. And lastly, soul keeping is about centering on God. To be certain, Our lives are centered on something. There is always a focus. There is always a center. There is always some all-important factor around which we build ourselves and which we build our life worth on, which we find our value and our happiness, and we think it all stems from this one thing. The trouble is that it's very often centered on the wrong thing. To be keeping a healthy soul, To care for that which is the most important part of our lives is to know that it has to be centered on God. John Ortberg tells a story of going to a a rodeo or a rodeo, however you prefer to pronounce it. I've never actually been to one. I've worked at the show for a few years now and uh, and every time we're there and and the rodeo is on, I keep 
thinking I must go and have a look. I've never yet made it. This was going to be the year that I was going to go and have a look, and we know how that uh, worked out. But John Ortberg tells a story of how he went to Rodeo once, and as a side kind of a fun item, there was one of those mechanical bulls that you could pay somebody some money, and they, you can try and see for how long that you, you'll stay on it. And uh, the man looked at John Ortberg and said to him, you know, this is really meant for younger people which just made his resolve to go on the thing even more uh, and to stay on it for as long as he could. And the man said, well, it's your money, your body, and there are 12 levels of difficulty. We can go through them. <clears throat> and so he got on the bull, determined to, to make a good go of it. And the man said, actually, before you start, let me just give you one piece of advice. He said, don't try and hold on too tightly. Stay loose, stay flexible. This is the mistake everybody makes. They get on and they're trying to hang on for dear life. But if you stay loose, if you just hold on, make sure that your center of gravity can be centered around the middle of where the bull is because that part doesn't move. It stays in one place. The bull's not going anywhere. But if you hang on, as you go to the side, your whole center of gravity will go with. But if you're loose and flexible, you can adjust and be centered around the middle. John thought that this was fantastic advice. The machine started. He miraculously managed to hang on for quite a while. He thought he had done absolutely brilliantly through all the twisting, the turning, and the, and the bucking of the bull. He, he hadn't even been knocked off. The machine stopped, and he looked across at the man with this kind of gloating look on his face of, of you see, I, I told you I was good. I've got through all those levels. And the man said, um, maybe we can put it on level two now. He lasted for about two seconds on level two before being thrown off. But the advice is what is so interesting. Don't hold on too tightly to this bucking, throwing, moving thing. Make sure that your center of gravity stays near the middle. Let your body be flexible. If you're holding too tightly, you'll be flying everywhere, going with whichever direction the bull goes. From an engineering perspective, that makes a lot of sense to me because, as I say, you're physically still in the same place, although I'm quite happy for it to remain just a, a theory. I don't need to test out the practical. I've no desire to, to ride one of those things. From a theological perspective, it also makes sense. We often center our lives around the things that we think will bring happiness. Money, power, fame, material things, health, happy, uh, health, family, work, those things we think that are going to make us happy. All of which are wildly unpredictable and incredibly unstable, just like that bull. There's no guarantee that any of those things will be unaffected by what happens in the world. And if we ever needed proof of it, we're living through it now with COVID-19. Everything gets shaken. Everything uh, is unstable. There's no guarantee that those things are unaffected by the world. And when they are, when they get affected, if that is what we are holding on tightly to, we get thrown. If our center is that thing, we get thrown. And that's when lives are just completely at a loss. When we find ourselves broken and, 
and without a sense of direction, without a purpose. But if our center is God, the unchanging, all-knowing, always there, completely dependable presence of God, then no matter which way things move, no matter what happens in life, no matter how badly the shift, if our center of gravity is the presence of God, those things are held loosely. And the sense of flexibility is the very source of our happiness and contentment because the health of our soul is independent of the external circumstance. Brother Lawrence called it practicing the presence of God. The psalmist writes, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul thirsts for you, my God. My soul thirsts for the living God. This is the picture of one <clears throat> that seeks God to be the center. A soul that thirsts not for the unpredictable things of the world, not for the, the fame or the money or the power or the prestige or the work or whatever, but for the things of God. When the world is at its center, as soon as something goes wrong, it consumes us. We start worrying, we start going down rabbit holes of possible outcomes, and it's a sure sign of knowing that the center's in the wrong place. To thirst for the presence of God is to know that He is the center. And the things of the world are exactly that. But He is always dependable. Let me end with a story. There's a, a story of a father who was relating his experience of his three-year-old son who, when the son was worried or frightened, would run to his dad and, and uh, say to his dad, Hold me, Daddy, hold me tight. That was the, the picture of this little three-year-old boy. Thirty years later on, that son went home to his wife only to find a note saying that she had left him for another man. He was shattered, phoned his father immediately and said, Dad, can I please come over? But he lived five hours away. So he got in the car and he drove nonstop to get there. When he arrived, he met his dad at the door, and the son was in a, a state of heartbreak and emotion, and he quite literally just collapsed into the father's arms. And as the father tells the story, he says, you know, in that moment, it was almost as if I could hear that little voice saying again, hold me, daddy, hold me tight. A soul centered on God knows the way to those arms knows that they can be depended upon no matter what happens in this life, knows that, that in the depth of those arms there is a sense of contentment when we centered on Him. We can say, Father, hold me tight. How goes it with your soul? Well, for me, the answer to the question is no longer about whether I've had a devotional time, as important as that is. I'm not saying it's unimportant. But it's not the answer. The answer lies in my soul's contentment. It lies in its conversation. It lies in its center. Soul keeping is about those three things. It's a challenge for me because I'm the only one who can keep my soul. It's a challenge for you. You are the keeper of your soul. How goes it with your soul?
Amen. Let us pray. <clears throat> Lord God, you alone know the things around which our life centers. You know how often and how easy it is for us to place all our sense of, of value or happiness or worth in, in the circumstances of, of the things we face in this world and how well life is going. I pray, Lord God, that as we hear your message today, we would know that, that beginning a day in, in your presence in a time of devotion is never meant to be the be-all and end-all of a life with God. But that moment integrates the rest of our day, the next 23 hours and 45 minutes, as our soul finds its place in you, as our soul finds its contentment in you, and as our soul has you as its center. As we seek to keep our souls, may we be challenged along those three things. May we find ourselves, Lord, <coughs> excuse me, willing to ask the question, willing to listen to your voice, willing to hear what you have to say to our souls. And so as we take communion now, Lord God, as we, as we take the body and blood of Christ and make it part of us, may it not just physically enter our bodies, but may it spiritually become part of who we are. That the grace and the love and the, the beauty and the wonder of what Christ has done for us connects our souls with you and centers us upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> it's good to have uh, Reverend Ray Nutley to share in the Sacrament of Holy Communion. Thank you, Ray, for being here. And Ray will read the parts of the Communion Liturgy that you are to respond to. They are written in a different color on the screen. And um, as we go through that, Ray will read those parts and I will read um, the Ordinary Liturgy. <clears throat> <clears throat> Friends, look as you gather around this table. It is decked out with simple things, bread and wine, gifts of the earth that remind us that like them, each one of us holds within us the fingerprints of God who made us. At this table, we are invited to draw up a chair and dine with the saints and to feed our souls. Here we sit with the priests and prophets, prisoners and poets, whose testaments live in the pages of God's good book, along with all, things, with all the friends and the faithful guides who live within our hearts. And so with this in mind, we raise our voices together with countless others saying, Holy, holy, holy God of all creation and life, heaven, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of God. Hosanna in the highest. On the night of his betrayal, Jesus took bread and wine and recreated them with a new purpose. We take this bread, and friends, if you'd like to at home, raise the bread or the, or the wafers that you have. We take this bread, and as we break it, we remember Jesus' words, take and eat, this is my body broken for you. We take this cup. And once again, friends at home, feel free to raise 
the cups that you have set out. And as we raise it, we remember Jesus' words. Take and drink. This is my blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. We break bread together. And we become the living body of Christ. We share the cup together. And we become agents of God's grace. We say together, Lord, we come to your table, trusting in your mercy and not in any goodness of our own. We are not worthy to gather the crumbs under your table, but your grace makes us worthy, and on that we depend. So feed us with the body and blood of Christ, we pray, resurrecting to live the life you call us to. Amen. Friends, please take the bread and the, and the juice or the water or whatever you have with you and uh, receive the sacrament. The body of Christ broken for you, right? Amen. If you take the cup, the blood of Christ which has been shed for you. Amen. We pray together the prayer of thanksgiving. We thank you, Lord, that you have fed us in this sacrament, united us with Christ, and given us a foretaste of the heavenly banquet prepared for all people. Amen. Thank you, Ray. <clears throat> Friends, as we have received the sacrament of Holy Communion, May you know God's blessing and his hand upon your life. May you know his spirit at work. May you know the joy of a soul that is content and centered upon God. May you know the power of a God who upon, upon whom you can depend, now and always. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all and those whom we love this day and forevermore. Amen. Friends, have a blessed Sunday, and we'll see you soon. God bless.